The following audio is from Midtown Fellowship in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in becoming a part of our extended family, visit midtowncolumbia.com slash partner. Amen. You guys can grab your seats if you can find one up in here today. Uh, shout out to all the guests that's with us. We're so super glad that you're here. Can we make some noise for all the guests that we have with us today? <laughs> Super glad that you are here. Uh, if I have not had the privilege to, to meet you, uh, my name is Ant. I am pastor here at, uh, at Midtown Two Notch. Uh, hopefully we were able to get you one of our bulletins. At the bottom of the bulletin, it has what we call our sign and drop. Uh, if, you are a guest, if you are a guest with us, a visitor with us, we would love for you to be able to fill that out for us. We'd love to be able to connect with you a little bit further. Just acknowledge that, you're, that you were here. We, again, we're super glad to have your presence uh, here with us today. Let's do, uh, can you do me a favor? If, there are, if you're on the outside rows, uh, if there is room Outside of you, can you slide? That way we can have room in the middle in case anyone gets here. Uh, and if you in the middle, y'all, y'all are already bunched in the middle, so y'all good. Uh, so yeah, if you can slide uh, as far to the outside as you can, that way seats, the seats that are available will be seen by anyone else who uh, comes in with us. Super glad that you guys are here uh, worshiping uh, with us uh, today. We are in the middle of a series, or kind of at the beginning of a series, uh, that we're calling Personal Liturgy. Uh, a liturgy uh, or churches with uh, quote-unquote high liturgy or churches, churches that value liturgy are, are churches that... that, that um, traditionally set in specific rhythms and patterns within uh, their worship services for the purpose of shaping uh, the, the people of God to conforming us more and more into Christ's image. And so maybe it's certain prayers or certain confessions that are taking place uh, con- continuously and in a pattern um, with, with the idea and the understanding that the things that we do do things to us, that if the things we do, especially consistently, will shape us and will form us. Uh, and so that's what we've been focusing on uh, in this series is developing our own personal liturgies. Understanding that the routines and the habits of our day-to-day lives that we engage in on a consistent basis are not just things that we do, but they actually affect us. They actually do things to us. And so we've been looking at a few different, a few different uh, what we've called spiritual toxins or spiritual enemies uh, that get in the way of us being able to thrive and live the way that God desires us to. If you can, go ahead and turn to Psalms chapter 46. Again, if you can turn to Psalm chapter 46. While we're turning there, I want to go ahead and read uh, a couple of the scriptures in the passage that we're kind of basing this entire series off of. It's going to be in Jeremiah chapter 17, 7 and 8. Again, continue turning to uh, Psalm 46. We should have Jeremiah 17 up here on the screen behind me. Jeremiah 17, I'll start with verse 7. It says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. Starting off saying those who, who, whose life, our lives are built off of a foundational trust in the Lord, they, they will be blessed. Their life will be blessed. Not specifically uh, talking about material uh, wealth or anything like that, but more so referring to a, a, an, an inner strength, a spiritual health, a spiritual vibrancy. Uh, it tells us what this life looks like in verse 8. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green. And it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. This tree, regardless of its circumstances, this tree that we are like, if we, if we have trust in the Lord, it, when, when the heat comes, it does not fear because its leaves still remain green. It continues to thrive. It continues to flourish. Even when the circumstances look like that won't be the case, you continue on reading. It says that it's not anxious in the year of drought. Right? If, if, there, was ever, if there was ever anything that should be anxious in drought, it's a tree. Right? It is dependent upon the water that it takes from the soil, but says it's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. This tree continues to bear fruit regardless of the situations around the tree. And he says this is what it's like to actually trust in God. 
the spiritual toxin that we'll be looking into today is distraction. Distraction, being unable to focus on God and others because our attention is taken by less important things. One of the things that prevents us from living the kind of life that Jeremiah sets out before us as the blessed life is that when our, when our eyes and our focus are, content, are, are consistently on other things and not on God and not on the thing God calls us to be focusing on, we won't be able to live in this type of blessed Christian experience that Jeremiah is, is, is telling us about. How do we live as a tree that is planted by the water? How do we continue to bear fruit Specifically, the fruit of the Spirit in times of difficulty, in times of heartache, in times of fear. We'll get into that in Psalms 46. How do we continue to thrive and prosper inwardly and spiritually when it seems like everything around us is being given over to, to darkness and destruction and chaos? How do we bear the fruit of the Spirit inside of us, the fruit of the Spirit of peace inside of us, when around us there seems to be just this overwhelming chaos and unrest and lack of peace. I know of a lady, uh, she's a Christian, um, as she began to uh, just, uh, I think, experience what a lot of us have experienced, just being overwhelmed by many of the tragedies, many of the injustices that are going on in the world that we uh, seem to be bombarded with every day. It caused her to, to go to this very dark place spiritually where she even began to doubt her faith, right? Where the things that are going on in this world, she perceived them and she grieved those things. The, the joy that she had experienced before, the peace that she had experienced before in the Lord started to dwindle. I prayed for her. I was wondering if she was going to be one of the believers that I've seen that after a while just seemed to not follow the Lord, seemed to not walk in the Lord in the same way. I was, I was praying that her, her light wouldn't be consumed by the darkness that is in our, in our world. How do we find security and peace in our world when it seems like every day we're hearing about another tragedy. Psalms 46, starting at verse 1, sets us up for how do we continue to walk in the peace that God has for us. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. This sets the tone for the whole chapter. God is our refuge. A refuge is a place of protection, a place that, that provides shelter. I don't know if you have anything that you're aware of that you run to whenever you feel uh, anxious or maybe whenever you feel afraid or whenever you feel worried, whenever you feel like you're, you're not okay or you're falling apart. Whatever you run to in that time is what you see as your fortress. It's a, it's a military term that they would use at that time. It's something, a place that they would go when their enemies maybe had the advantage on them where they would be safe. It's a refuge. It's your place of security. It's a place where you, you find peace of mind. It says God is our strength. He and he alone is how we endure. He and he alone is how we're able to find the joy that we need to continue finding this supernatural peace from the Holy Spirit in our lives. He's our strength in times of trouble. but also says he's our present help, that he is with us, that no matter what comes towards us, no matter what leaves us, God is constant. He is there. He is present. He never leaves his people. He never abandons his people. No matter how we feel, at any point in time in our life, our God is with us. He is present every moment. There's never a moment in the life of a Christian where God is not present right there with us. He is our present help in times of trouble. <clears throat> and as we move to verses 2 and verse 3, you're going to see this, this, this kind of uh, transition or this tension that, that is present all throughout this chapter. It, it, it'll, it'll talk about the goodness of God and how God is with us and God is for us and how he's our strength and our refuge. And then it'll switch and start talking about all the, all the calamity and all what's going wrong with the world. And that's the tension we live in as Christians, that we, we understand that God is good no matter what. And at the same time, we see all the brokenness. We see all the darkness. We've, we've felt the pain 
from living in a broken world. So it makes that transition starting in verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. In verse 2, the author says, we, the people of God, because God is our refuge, because he's our strength, because he is our present help, he says, we do not fear even if the earth begins to change, even if the earth gives way under our feet, it says, we will not fear because God is our strength, because God is our refuge. He says, even if the mountains are moved into the heart of the sea and the sea begins to roar and the sea begins to foam so much that it causes mountains to shake, it says, we do not fear. Because what's a mountain trembling when we have the God who created the mountains? What's the sea roaring and foaming when we, are, when we are connected with and cared for by the God who created the sea? It says, therefore, I will not fear. The psalm says, if I put it in my own words, we know God's with us and we know God's got us. We know God is with us and we know God's got us no matter what comes our way. These are, these are graphic and just incredibly horrifying pictures of, of things in nature just not working the way we expect them to, these terrifying things. And he's saying, no matter what you see happen, God's got us, God is with us. Let's continue on in verse 4. We read 4 and 5. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Verse 5 reiterates the presence of God, that God is, is with his people. He's in the midst of her, in the midst of the city or the, or the group or collection of God's people. It says, we shall not be moved. What I love about verse 5 is that word that's translated moved there in verse 5 is the same word that we see earlier when it says the mountains be moved into the sea. He's saying that no matter what's going around us, no matter what is shaking around us, God's people are not shaken when we trust in him. No matter, no matter what moves around us, even if the mountains are moved, God's people are not moved because he is with us and because he's got us. It communicates that the chaos, that the lack of peace on the outside does not dictate the, the, the internal the, 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 uh, internal situation or a level of peace for the believer. What's outside is not necessarily what happens on the inside of us. No matter how much chaos is outside, we're able to find peace, security, strength in the God who is our refuge. Before we go into verse 6 where it starts talking about kingdoms and different nations, one thing you need to understand is that this time kingdoms and nations were always trying to conquer each other. Right? The, 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 the goal was to grow, oftentimes to grow your kingdom and your empire as big as possible is what most tried to do. And so the, the, you, you, would, you would find nation always at war, always at this unrest with other nations. And a lot of these nations were vicious. I mean, they, they were vicious. You, you, you wouldn't, if you knew your neighboring nation was, was, was always wanting to conquer, you would, you would oftentimes live in, in, in constant fear of, man, are they, are they getting stronger than us? Are they going to be able to overpower us? So they would come and just massacre your people. They would use the brute force of their military to try to take over. This would have been a, a, a source of great fear and anxiety for the people of God and, and everyone else. So this next verse talks about the, the nations raging. When he talks about the nations raging and kingdoms tottering, he's talking about kingdoms rising, kingdoms falling due to this, this constant war, this constant battle that is going on. Verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. Listen to this, what it says about God. He utters his voice, the earth melts. 
The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. He's saying nations are going to be angry with each other. Nations are going to rage. Nations are going to try to take over each other. Kingdoms are going to totter. Kingdoms are going to rise. Kingdoms are going to fall. Kingdoms bigger than you are going to rise and going to fall. But the one who is your refuge, the one who is your strength, at his very word, the whole earth could melt. He is mightier. He is bigger. He is stronger than all of God's people's greatest and strongest enemies. He is mightier, bigger, stronger than any amount of destruction or calamity that they might see, that they might witness. That word rage there, when it talks about the nation's Raging is the same word that's used in verse 3 when it says, though the waters roar. It's the same word. The picture is saying if, if the nations are raging and warring, if the waters are raging and warring, it doesn't matter. My people find strength in me. My people do not fear. The nations can rage. Nature itself can rage. God's people stand with him as our refuge. The word totter that is there when it talks about nations tottering is the same word we talked about a little bit before. It's the same word that's translated move a couple times earlier. He's saying the mountains can be moved. The kingdoms can be moved. My people shall not be moved if we have trust in him. Let's move on to verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That word fortress, it can be translated stronghold, it can be translated uh, a, a strong tower. It's this idea of this safe place, it's a refuge, but it's an elevated refuge that keeps you above the fray, so to speak. That the wars are still going on, but you, you have a level of peace because you are above that. That's what it says that God is for his people, that he keeps us above the fray. That it's, not, it's not that in this world all the phrase is going to go away, because in this life we know we're going to have trouble. God promises there's going to be hardship in this world, but he's saying for my people who find me as their refuge, they also see me as their strong tower, as their fortress that keeps them above the fray. Verse 8, we'll we read 8 and 9 together. Come, this is an encouragement to God's people, come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. I'll explain that in a minute. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots of fire. He's saying, come behold the mighty works. Come behold the works of the Lord. And he's talking specifically about his works of destruction. That word desolation means means to, to bring about emptiness or to bring about destruction. So he's actually saying, behold the works of the Lord. Behold the destruction that he brings. Now, he goes into specifics about what that destruction looks like in verse 9. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. It's something that we got to make sure we don't get twisted on. Like, God is loving. God is kind. God is a warrior who defends his people. God, God is loving. God is not soft, right? God is strong. He will conquer over his enemies and over the enemies of his people. The psalmist says he will make war cease by destroying the weapons. That bow is referring to a bow and arrow. He says the spear he will, he will destroy. He will, he will burn the chariots with fire. These are the weapons that these conquering nations will come in with. They will use bow and arrow. They will come in on chariots. And he's saying that to, to protect his people, to make sure that his people are good, I will bring destruction to the enemies and their weapons. He says, I will bring desolation. God doesn't just comfort us with his tenderness and with his compassion and with his love. He comforts us and brings us peace through his destruction as well. 
He's telling them he's even willing to bring destruction for their good. He so deeply cares for them. He's willing to destroy whatever threatens his people that he might bring them peace. He will ruthlessly defend his people. And whatever is in the way of his people and having true peace, he's willing to destroy it. If you don't believe me, all you have to see is the gospel of Jesus Christ. As our sins were on us, we were bearing the weight of our sins. And all of us, everyone who's ever lived outside of Jesus Christ himself, deserves to be punished under the wrath of God because we all are sinners and all have turned away from him. And so what God does, he places that sin on his son and destroys his son in our place. He's willing to bring destruction that we might have peace, even if it means destroying himself on the cross. He is a refuge. You've never heard of a greater refuge than that of one that says, not only will I fight for you, but I will even die and destroy myself for you. You've never heard of a greater refuge. There's nothing better or greater that you can run to in times of distress, in times of trouble than God himself. He is our refuge, our fortress, our strong tower. He is our strength. He is what we lean on. He is what we run to. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, talking about what, what God did to himself that we might have eternal peace in him. This is talking about Jesus. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Smitten by God, it says. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Brought us peace, it says. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jump down to verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. God, the refuge for his people, the defender of his people, the one who is willing to bring destruction and desolation so that his people might have peace, was even willing to crush his own son on the cross for our peace. This is our refuge. This is where we run to. He is our God. He's with us and he has got us. I don't know what you run to in times of trouble. I don't know what you try to go to to try to find some type of peace. Different people go to different things. Maybe you have a friend that whenever you feel frazzled, whenever you feel like you're, you're coming undone inside, maybe you go to talk to them. Maybe for you it's some type of food. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe uh, it, it can be any number of things that we oftentimes run to in times of trouble. But you will not find anything better. You'll find no place sweeter than running to the one who was willing to die for us that we might have his peace. He took the destruction that we deserve onto himself that we might know him as our refuge. That is good news today, church. Amen? He concludes this chapter by giving us one command. There's only one command in the entire chapter. Let's move to verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. He said, I will be exalted. I will be seen as greater than anything that you've ever seen, that you've ever heard of, that you've ever witnessed. I will be exalted among the nations. When that term the nations is talking about, it's talking about all the nations on earth. I will be exalted. I will be seen as greater. I will be seen as stronger. I will be seen as sovereign over everything that you've ever seen or anything that anyone has ever seen. I will be exalted Among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. And then in verse 11, it repeats what it said in verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. He is present. The God of Jacob is our 
fortress. Be still and know that I am God. If you want to walk in the peace that God has for you, you need to know one very simple yet extremely profound truth. It sounds so simple, it almost sounds redundant. He is God. What does that mean? He is God. He, he reigns and he rules. He doesn't have to ask anyone for permission to do anything. He is always, always, always in control. Every moment of our lives, he is God. The troubles that we see, they are not God. I believe hopelessness comes in, in times when we begin to see the problems and the darkness is greater than God. When, when, when the brokenness of this world to you, in, in your view, becomes God, you will have no hope in life. You will fall apart. You will never have peace. The psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. If you know that God is with you and God's got you, why would you be afraid of the trouble all around you? If you know that he truly holds tomorrow in his hands and he controls every detail of it, why would you fear? He's reminding us to be still and know that he is God. As the solution to our fear, this passage is revealing to us then, if we live and are overwhelmed by fear because we believe that, that, that our, 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 the darkness that we see is actually greater than God, then we claim to be Christian, but we live as atheists. If, we're, if we live overwhelmed by fear, because we've come to the belief that the things in this world, the darkness in this world are actually greater than God, then we claim to be Christian, but we live as atheists. You truly don't believe in God. You don't know God to be your fortress, your refuge, your strength, and your great and your safe place. Listen, God is going to be a refuge. He, he, he is going to be a strength. The question is, do we see him as such? Do we run to him? Do we find peace in him? We now have a God who is our very present help in trouble. The Lord of hosts. That, that word host is, it means armies or troops. He's saying the, the God of the, of the heavenly armies is with us. Why would you fear? God, through the, through the psalmist, is confronting our lack of faith in him. He says, be still and know that I am God. And if we do not intentionally be still and know that he is God... We will live out this functional atheism is what I call it. These refuges, these fortresses were often used in times of war. They'd be a safe place to hide. Question for you, what, what do you do when you go to your refuge? What do you do? You just be still. You just be still. You don't do anything. You don't go anywhere. You don't, you're not trying to, to fix the problem on your own. You, you're being still and you're, you're enjoying the peace and the safety and security of knowing that you have a refuge that protects you. That's all you do in a refuge. You be still. You slow yourself. You rest in the peace that is found from having a refuge that you trust. God's with us and God has got us. You sit there and you enjoy the safety. So when you lose your job, you do not fear. You're still okay. You have peace because you know that God is with you. You know that God has got you. You know that job was just one means that God chose to use to provide for you as his child. But if you felt like that job was your God, 
and you saw the job as your source of provision, then you might lose your job. You might be helpless. You might be hopeless. If you lose your job, you hustle to try to find another job. And in the meantime, you know, you remind yourself, he is God. He's God. He knew our tomorrow before yesterday. He is God. You have an emergency expense come up that sets you back financially. You're still okay. You still have peace because you know that he's God. And he's with you and he is for you and he's got you. You see another tragedy in this world. You see another shooting in this world. And you start to feel yourself internally start to come undone. You start to feel the fear that begin to come crippling. Take time. Be still. Remind yourself he's God. The brokenness, the darkness I see is not God. All the brokenness of this world has an expiration date. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of God, it will expire. He will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. He is greater than any calamity, any tragedy that we've ever seen or will see. Be still and know that he is God. He is God. Everything around you is falling apart. You run to he who is your refuge, who is your calm in the storm. Any amount of hopelessness or distress that you feel, we run to God because we know who he is and that he is for us. We do this individually. We do this collectively. Sometimes churches go through seasons where it's just extremely difficult. It's extremely challenging. Maybe, maybe there's a lot of grieving that goes on. Maybe there's hopelessness that's beginning to set in in our church. And we go to God together as a church, together, being still, knowing that he is God. Knowing that he is our refuge. He is our light, he is our salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? Maybe something goes on in your life group. Something, something horrible happens. Maybe someone in your life group is grieving uh, in, in, in a very severe way. You get together as a group and you go and be still and know that he is God together. And we encourage each other, we remind each other that he is God. And we believe and trust that he has the power to get us through whatever it is. Relationships in your life are difficult and painful. You run to the one who is the one truly constant relationship in your life, an unwavering friend you have in the Lord. He is God. You lose a loved one. You run to God day in and day out as you cry, as you weep, as you mourn, as you grieve, and you trust God that he is your refuge and he is your strength and you will be able to get through. And you trust that you will be able to continue on, that you will be able to endure. Because the strength that you find to be able to endure is not coming from you, but it is supernaturally coming from the Holy Spirit who indwells the people of God. And you trust that he's your refuge, that he is your strength. When you feel you have no strength, you trust that he is your strength. And you run to him over and over and over again. God is offering us peace if we would just run to him. I said earlier that the spiritual distraction of the spiritual enemy that we'll be looking into today is distraction. This tendency that we have to focus on other things, this tendency that we have to, to so busy our lives that we never take the time to be still and know that he is God. And we wonder why we're so frantic. And we wonder why, why anxiety is, is, is crippling us or fear is crippling us when you never took the time to be still. And know that he is God. And you wonder why, why worry always dominates your thoughts in the morning from the time you wake up, from the time you go to bed, and you never took the time to be still and know 
that he is God. I believe we all are guilty of this. I know I am. We wake up, we check our phone, we start thinking about the tasks of the day, we get ready to go to work or maybe go to school, and our mind's fully engaged in whatever demands and responsibilities that we have. We come home, maybe we spend time with different people, friends, family, roommates, whoever it is. Maybe we watch some TV or whatever it is that you do all day, and you're feeling the the small gaps, the small chunks of time that you have. You're filling them up with maybe your phone or maybe social media or or whatever it is, and you've never taken the time to just be still and know that he is God. At the end of the day, you're exhausted, you go to bed, never spent time knowing that he is God, never spent time reminding ourselves, God's running the things in my life, God's covering every detail, God loves me, God's with me, God's got me, and this distraction is devastating for us spiritually. If you're in the room, and and as I've been talking about the supernatural peace that God gives us as his people, if you've had thoughts or feelings as I've been talking about it, that that's, that that's not really a true thing, that that's, that's, actually, that's, that's, that's too idealistic, I'd submit to you that you believe the lie of the enemy, that you've likely allowed distraction, from prevent, allowed distraction to prevent you from actually being still and knowing that he is God and living a life of trust in him. Of course, our thoughts will be filled with worry all the time. Jesus had, we see in his ministry, what many call a, a hidden life. Not that he lived and, and, and practiced bad things in secret, but rather he had this tendency to get away from people and go be alone with God. Throughout, the Christian, uh, throughout Christian history, we, we've called this, uh, this spiritual discipline of solitude. This, this idea of a hidden life, that I have a life that, that the only people that see it are me and God. When I am with him, when I am meeting with him, we see this as a consistent thing in Jesus' ministry. When he, he's going to be with the Father, I'll, I'll just uh, read a few verses to you that show this. Matthew 14, 23. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was there alone. So the crowds will be following. He will go send them away and go and pray and be with the Father. Mark chapter 6, verse 46. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. Luke 6, 12. It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Luke 5, 16. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness to pray. Jesus was a busy man. Jesus was in high demand. In high demand. Jesus comes into town, all the sick people coming to him. All the sick people. He spends his time teaching. He spends his time with his disciples. He spends his time healing people. And then he sends them away and he slips away or slips away to the wilderness and pray. You see this hidden life with God. You see this consistent pattern of I'm going to be still. I'm going to go be with the Father. If I got to pray all night, then I'm just going to pray all night. If that's what I have to do to be still with the Father, then that's what I'm going to do. And he goes away to pray. And we see him walk in this unbelievable strength. He would take the time to practice this discipline of solitude. Throughout this series, we're, we're going to continue to challenge you, if you've been sticking with us, to practice different spiritual disciplines. The primary purpose of these disciplines is to get us to be, to spend time with God, to be with him, to remind ourselves of who he is, to be still and know that he is God. For this week, for some of you, this is going to be an incredibly difficult challenge. For some of you, 
It'll be an easier challenge. Some of you already do this. This week, our challenge in our personal liturgy series, spend 30 minutes each day alone with God. 30 minutes alone with God each day, practicing this spiritual discipline of solitude, developing this secret life, if you would, with God, or this hidden life, I should say. Maybe it's in prayer or meditating on God's word. Maybe it's, just, maybe it's being still and knowing that he is God by, the only thing I often try to do is just listen to gospel music that, that reshapes and resets my mind on who God is. What helps me, one of the things specifically with prayer, I don't, know, I don't know how many of you guys are like this. I imagine many of us, I tend to get restless when I try to pray. I tend to get restless, and at times I, I feel like I'm trying to pray, and I, I, I look up, and it's like I've been, my mind's just been wandering for five minutes, and I prayed for about three. So I'm not doing too well on this, just, just by the math. I think we have to find things oftentimes that help us. I believe part of it is, uh, as Ryan preached on a little bit last week, we, we've, we, we are so used to having constant, consistent, ongoing, all the time, moment by moment, stimulation from something that's trying to entertain us, that solitude is extremely difficult. For many, solitude feels like a problem to be solved. Right? We, we wear busyness as a badge of honor. Oh, how you doing, man? Staying busy. Right? I'm not saying busyness is bad. I'm saying business can lead to distraction, which is very spiritually devastating for us. If you do not take time to be still and know that he is God. We, we, we look to busyness to, to affirm us that we're, that we're, we're actually productive, that we actually uh, to kind of validate ourselves. We look to, to being busy and filling our times with accomplishing different things and we're being very productive, but we're lacking spiritually. And we aren't finding peace in the Lord. So what I try to do is I try to, at times, if I'm trying to pray for 30 minutes or so, I oftentimes get out a notepad and I'll try to think through, okay, what is on my mind that's somewhat heavy right now? Maybe it's with family, maybe it's with friends, maybe it's with work, maybe some other responsibilities with school, maybe it's, it's health, maybe it's about future, maybe it's about some type of, of relationships. And I try to just make quick notes and jot them down on, on, a, on a notepad. Then I go back through and I try to tell God every thought and every feeling I have about everything that I wrote down. Emptying myself, pouring my heart out to God, casting my cares on him because he cares for me. And then after that, it's everything that's gone good. Everything you can think of that has gone good recently in your life. Maybe it's the same. Maybe it's family, friends, work, responsibilities, school, your health, your future, your, your relationships, whatever it is. Maybe you write, that, you write down those things and you go to God and just offer thanks to him for everything that he's, every blessing he's allowed you to experience. I'll, I'll be honest with you, this is the only time that I lose track of time doing prayers when I do this. I'll do this and I'll look up and I'll be like, man, I've just been empty. I didn't know I had so much stuff just stuck in here. And I give it to God, trying to develop this hidden life with God where there's this relationship where I draw strength from that no one else necessarily needs to see. It can be done corporately. We want to practice and push you towards solitude as well. For some of you, you've never spent 30 minutes alone with God before. For some of you, you've never spent 30 minutes with, with God in prayer. Maybe you've never spent 30 minutes with God before in reading and studying and, and, and meditating on his word. I like to just make a simple suggestion. If you've never done that with God's word before, I want to just recommend the book of John to you. And if you've never really spent time reading God's word, here's, here's what I'm asking you to do. Pray before you open the book. God, help me to see. Help me to understand what you have for me in your word today. Start at chapter 1, verse 1. And go. And when, you, when something jumps out of you, when there's something that you do understand, write a little note about it. Why did it, why did it jump out to you? And then pray to God, God, I need, I need to grow in this area. This is, a, this is an area I really need your strength and your help that I can grow in. God, I need to grow my faith in this area. 
and pray through the Bible. 30 minutes a day for this week is what we're asking. For some of you, you already spend 30 minutes with God alone every day. I want to encourage you to continue doing so. Some of us in the room, again, have never done this 30 minutes uninterrupted a long time with God. For some of you, it would be as simple as there's a TV. There's, you, watch some, you watch an hour or two hours of TV every day, just cut 30 minutes out and spend time with God. For some of you, it would literally be that simple. You make every excuse not to do it, but it would literally be that simple. Some of you already had the excuses already started running in your head as I was talking. For some of you, it's going to be more difficult. Maybe it's because of, maybe you're working two jobs. Maybe it's because of the, 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 the age and number of the, of the children that you have. For some of you, if you're married, you're going to, you're going to have to schedule this together. You're going, to have to, you're going to have to work together to get this. For some of you, if you're married. For some of you, you might need your life group to help. This, uh, for those of us in the room who do this consistently, I can almost guarantee you all of them have a plan. Almost everyone in this room who spends 30 minutes with God consistently has a plan to do that. And if you... Do not plan. If you fail to plan, as I say, you plan to fail. So for some of you, I'm going to ask you to get your life groups involved. If, you, if your life is so hectic that you literally have, do not have 30 minutes of time that you can get along with God, I'm going to ask you to hit up people in your life group. Like, hey, can you help me with this? Can you help me with dinner? Can you help me by watching kids? I'm trying to get this, this time in with the Lord. I want to have this hidden life with God. And if you're in someone's life group and you're available, and you just don't want to help because you just don't feel like it, I want to encourage you to fight for the health of the people in your group. Fight for it. This is worth it. Like having someone, giving someone the ability to be still and know that he is God in the world that's broken, in the world that that seems to be falling apart, in a world with so much tragedy and so much calamity. If they're fighting to be able to be still and know that he is God, you fight with them. That is your brother. That is your sister. You fight alongside them. There's no such thing as an army of one. An army, by definition, is a group of soldiers that fight together. We fight together as a family of faith. In this chaotic world where we all, I know there's no person in here who could not stand for more peace in their life and in their heart. There's no person in here who couldn't stand to, to even further, to even further know and understand God to be our true refuge. There's no one in here who couldn't stand to to do more of being still and knowing that he is God. This is what we need to continue to remember, these truths that he is our God. One of the things that Jesus uh, set up for us to do, he said, do this in remembrance of me is partake in communion together. He broke the bread. He he passed it out. He passed out the wine to his his disciples. He said, do this in remembrance of me. He, He knew we were going to need reminders, right? He knew we were going to need reminders to remember who he is, to remember what he was done. He, he, he is very aware of our tendency to be distracted and focus on other things. So he said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this and remember me as often as you do it. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, I know we have a lot of guests. We want to encourage you and invite you uh, to partake in communion with us. If you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we ask that you would just stay in your seats at this time. This is something that Jesus set up very, very sacredly, very specifically for his people for those who have placed faith in him. And as we partake in communion, as we take the, the bread, which represents the broken body of Jesus, and as we dip it in the, in the juice that we have that represents his blood, we remember his death. We remember that he was willing to take the destruction and the calamity onto himself that we might have peace. 
We remember the power that he was able to to defeat sin and even rise from the grave. He, He has the power to take care of us, but we also are reminded of his love, that he came to us and took death in our place. He took our destruction that we might have peace. We do this in remembrance of him today. Remembrance of the one who died in our place. It'll be really simple. Right after I pray, you can just make your way back to the table. You can just take a piece of bread, dip it in uh, the juice, and you can um, come back to your seat and partake in communion. And we'll do this together. Let me pray for us, and then we'll begin our time of communion. Lord, it's hard to be still and know that you are God. Lord, we're distracted. Lord, there are so many other things that compete for our attention. There's so many other things, Lord, that compete for our affection, that compete for our trust, Lord. But you call us to trust in you as our refuge. You call us to to run to you. You call us to not let these things distract us from being still and knowing that you are God. Would you help us to remember that? Would you help us to run to you over and over and over again with every worry, with every fear that we have, every thought, Lord, that, that tends to make us feel like we're coming undone inside? Would you call us, would you compel us, Lord, to pour all of that out to you? That we would give it all to you, that we would hold nothing back, Lord, that we would consistently be still and know that you are God, that our, that our circumstances in our life aren't God, that the tragedies that we see, the calamities that we see, that those aren't God, but we know that you are God, you are in control, you will be exalted among the nations, you'll be exalted in the earth. My God, would you grow us in this? Would you encourage our hearts, Lord? Would you strengthen our faith that is weak at times? Lord, for anybody in the room that just came in the room just feeling hopeless, that just came in the room weighed down, would you encourage us with faith, with hope in you? That we would maybe for the first time in a long time just be still and know that you are God, that you are with us and that you've got us because you love us. Lord, help us to remember you as we partake in communion today. It's in Christ's name I pray.